what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. December 6th, 2019, episode 108. Last month of the decade. Yeah, 2020. You remember, you remember December 1999, though, er, the, everybody thought the world was going to crash because oh, yeah. nobody knew what to do to put a 2000? The Y2K thing? That was a for real scare. I mean, people were really scared about Everybody's that. Everybody's always got to be scared about something. I guess. What are you scared about right scared. now? Heading into 2020. Do I have a job next year? <laughs> I think you'll be fine. So before we what's get into new? the what? Yeah, I was gonna say, what's new in flat track? Uh, before we get into the uh, to the interview, this week's interview, which I'm pretty stoked about, there are a few things I kind of wanted to go through. I had a question. I don't know if you have the answer. This, I saw something this week. This extreme flat track series. What is that? It is a different series. I believe it was the VDTRA Vintage Dirt Track Racing Association. They've changed the name of their series to the Extreme Flat Track Series. Yeah. That's to the best of my knowledge. That's what it is. So it's not. It's not like a Steve Nace, or is it just vintage bikes? What is that? It sounds like there's going to be a, a, a you know classes for kids, classes for pros, and classes for vintage bikes. So it's 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 a similar series to what the Steve Nace Racing Series is. Not gotcha. necessarily what the All Star National Flat Track Series is, but uh, just it sounds like another place to go racing. That's awesome, man. It seems like you know with Steve Nace, the new flat track feature stuff that Johnny Lewis is doing, um, and then this series, there's going to be a, a decent amount of amateur racing out there uh, in 2020 and beyond. So, I mean, that just shows that the, the that the sport is growing for sure, and uh, there's a lot of momentum uh, for the youth, which is great. Absolutely. I mean, if there's a place to race, it'll be easier to get more flat trackers involved, which will in in the long run, make for some better pros and some more pros to come up in racing the Grand National Series. Speaking about the pros, there's a uh, a big book that was released this week. Did you see that? A book? You yeah. know, I don't read. Oh, that's right. You don't you don't read. But in this one, is probably. Pic- hold on, hold on. Is there pictures in it? <laughs> I don't I don't think there's pictures in it. There's links. I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna read it. But that just takes you to more reading. Um, and to be honest, this book probably is one of the toughest to read just because it's a lot of legal legalese, but it's very important to the pros and anybody involved in the top series because it is the 2020 rule book. I saw that was released. I heard there's quite a few changes. I'm going to have to get into it. I may uh, talk to a few friends that are involved in the sport. I've heard some rumors on social media that there's some changes that people don't understand yet. So maybe at some point we can get someone from AFT to, to get on here with us and go through some of these big rule changes will definitely be a topic of discussion for sure. Uh, there's actually an article about it in the new uh, issue number 39 of Sideburn Magazine that just came out last week. We talked we talked to Gary and he's actually got an article on one of the the new spec tires that's in the 2020 rule book. Oh, I yeah. did hear about the spec tire. I actually saw I saw it a couple times last year. I think there there was a few people testing it out. Uh, I think I saw a glimpse of it at the Springfield Short Track maybe late in late in the year, and I heard people were testing it at Volusia last month. So uh, it's a very cool tire. It's got a very unique grid pattern, I guess you want to say to it. I don't know how else to, you know, the, the lug pattern, you know, the grooves are interesting. So uh, we'll see. Uh, one of the people, one of the things people are talking about it is it's a tubeless tire. So yeah. that may require uh, a few people to run different rims and what they've been running. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how they last and are they going to spin on the rim? I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, when there's something new, 
obviously there's always people that are going to hate it because a lot of people don't like change but if it you know we've been using the same goodyear dt tires for as long as i can remember so change sometimes folks is good it's one of those things only time will tell and uh you know i think it's it's there's nothing wrong with trying something new and uh there's obviously been some people that have tested it i don't think they would put something out there and put it in the rule book if it's going to take us backwards but um we'll see in 2020 and beyond uh how that new spec tire performs and how much it's enforced i don't know if it's something that everybody's going to have to run or if it's going to be an option who knows and speaking of tires, there's also another flat track tire that's not going to be at the AFT races, but you might possibly see those at some of the Steve Nace races, and those are Hoosier motorcycle tires, and Hoosier tires have been around forever. Uh, if you follow sprint cars, they've been a sprint car tire for a, for many, many years, but I've heard Hoosier is dabbling into the flat track world just a little bit. Interesting. Good stuff. Uh, across the pond, we had uh, we had a couple of our flat track boys roll over there for the uh, for the annual Rossi's Ranch uh, race, and it uh, looks like they got on top of the podium. Not on top of the podium. But it looks like they got on the podium this year. Which is incredible because some of the fastest riders in the world get invited to go there, and the people that live over there have an advantage because they set their bikes up different. They have different tires over there. And they've probably ridden there a lot. So that, to me, shows you the caliber of rider J.D. Beach and Sammy Halbert have. Uh, Sammy's been over there a couple times already, so Sammy kind of knew the lay of the land. But J.D., this is his first time to go over there and put those two together. Uh, a third place is – i I'm – very impressed making us proud i love it and jd's no stranger to uh to winning races outside of the country he went over to super prestigio a couple years back and, and took home uh i think what first place in that right yep it was a you know he, he's a, a well-rounded rider let's put it like that because he can road race he can flat track he can do a little bit of everything and he's good at everything he does do you know what he's doing for 2020 yet i'm super interested to know if he's going to be running the split like he did last year you know what? With the new Super Twins class, I think if you sign on to be a Super Twin, you have to race every Grand National. So it's going to be interesting to see where he will devote his time. Will he focus on the, the road race side or will he go flat tracking? And, and the, the last rule I had read before you know, the rule book came out is you could actually race your way in, too. If you didn't want to be a Super Twin team, you could try to race your way into the main events. So, uh, you know, again, waiting on the end of the year when more of these contracts come out, we start hearing more and more rumors uh i can't wait to see these get set in stone so one bit of news that dropped yesterday that you're not gonna have to wait anymore to hear is the news about the factory hd effort in 2020 the factory harley davidson team picked up ricky howerton to be the crew chief along with ricky howerton comes brian smith jared vandekoy will remain in place and a new factory harley davidson rider will be dalton gautier and i've heard uh, through the grapevine that all three will be racing for the super twins championship yeah that's uh <laughs> That's that's big news. So how are they going to do that? How are they going to do that? Because you only have two riders per Super Twins team, right? I, I it, In this press release, you see three riders. And on the Indian side of things, there's more than two riders. So that's going to be interesting to see how that works out. Or if they change, if AFT, you know, changes the rule in that respect or like how they handle that. Well, if they go kind of with the NASCAR model, you know, how you have like, say, Joe Gibbs has four cars that's all you can have but then they have a satellite team you know where christopher bell will be racing for next year so maybe they'll have a, a you know a branch off of their team or something yeah. like that but it will be interesting well i you mean know, it, you, you even know, think like, about estenson had more than two riders right so like uh, he may on the yamaha side may have something to look at in that respect too either way this is uh this is big news and you know how i was geeking out last year when when brian smith jumped back on the kawasaki has brian's ridden for harley before right 
yeah, he was a factory Harley rider. They had actually four riders at the time when he was riding for him. So it'd be good for him to get back with, uh, you know, the Harley Davidson crew and with help from Ricky Howerton, Terry Vance and Vance and Hines is, is behind it 110%. You know, Ricky Howerton lives in Indianapolis. That's where Terry Vance's uh, operation has been set up. So sounds like the team will be primarily based out of Indianapolis. And, uh, man, a new Harley Davidson wrecking crew has formed that's badass man can't wait to see what they do in 2020 and uh to hear more about how this deal is going to shape up big news huge it's huge um it's huge huge maybe that will start the ball rolling we'll see some more big teams announcing what they're going to do in 2020 now the rule book is out now other teams can maybe start saying what they're going to do well that's a that's a lot of news for one week you want to get into our interview Absolutely. I'm excited about this one. Since you told me about this guest, I've been looking forward to this one for a long time just to check in with somebody to check and see what's going on, how they're doing and what the future holds. I cannot wait to talk to this guest. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Like uh, before this incident, I, I really honestly didn't know uh, either one of them that much. But uh, talking to other people in the community, they're they're awesome people. And I look forward to hearing about the backstory and how they're doing uh, recently since the injury. They? they? You're yeah. having two guests? Absolutely. Man, will you stop throwing me curveballs? What are you doing <laughs> to me? Well, you can't have one with that without the other. Jeremy Higgins and Amber Higgins, they go together. Two for one. There you go. Two Higgins for the price of one. We'll call them up. Let's do it. Hello? Hollywood. Scotty, what's going on, man? It's the other Hollywood. What's happening, man? Nothing. I'm 2.0. You're the original You're... Hollywood, all right? <laughs> Dude, I love it. I love it. So before we dive into all this stuff, tell me who called you Hollywood first and, and where did that come from? Oh, my goodness. I don't even remember, honestly. It was my first year pro I got called Hollywood. I think just because back in the day I used to have a different outlook on life. I yeah. used to wear – I had really I had really long blonde hair, you know, always wore good clothes and stuff like that. So I kind of seemed like a, like a Cali boy – racing with all these east coasters you know what i mean so okay. uh, i stood out a little bit but i think that's that's where the name really stuck okay i got you so I, i'm thinking right now i think one of those football movies the quarterback came in had long flowing blonde hair and dressed different and i think they called him cali or hollywood or something like that so it kind of fits right in like that huh exactly that's where that's where it honestly stuck i mean <laughs> it just seems like i was from hollywood with the way i dressed and the way i acted and stuff i guess i forget who 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 came up with it I, I don't honestly remember who, who was the first one to call me Hollywood, but uh, as soon as I heard it, it made sense. You know what I mean? It, it just seemed like I was home. That's awesome. Hollywood Higgins. And it, go, it sounds so good together. I love it. So I haven't seen you since uh, Springfield, and I don't even know if we talked that day when you when you got hurt, but I, I'll, I'll take it back a week before that. You were kicking some butt the week before, I guess I should say, at, at a Steve Nace race in Virginia. Do you remember that day? No, I don't actually. Yeah, with the accident, I suffered a lot of brain injury, and okay. um, you know, it's it's really set me back quite a ways. But um, I'm I'm working slowly on getting back. But uh, I know that my dad had told me that we were doing really good that day. You were you were all in the mail, that's for sure. I didn't get to interview that that day, but uh, I I believe you won at least one class, and if not, I know you podiumed a couple times, but you might remember that again later. I had a pretty bad injury myself, and I, I don't remember some things too. So some things come back and some things don't. That's just part of it. But we'll talk about your injury a little bit later on. But I want want to have you on here, and, and I want people to get to know a little bit more about Hollywood Higgins. So let's go way back. Where were you born, Jeremy? I was born in Bergen, New York. Where in the world is that? 
It's way up in the northeast of uh, New York, really, really near Buffalo. Okay. So, All right. so we can get to P we can get to PA or Canada in about an hour. I gotcha. What's it like growing up in that little town of New York? Uh, it's good. You know, it's quiet. Um, when I was growing up, we didn't even have a stoplight in our in our town. Um, so that's how small of a an area I came from. Um, but with that being said, we had an old ban- abandoned railroad tracks right behind my house that I would ride on all the time. Um, so, you know, the, the, the way that I was brought up was I, you know, we were really simple people. Um, you know, my parents worked really hard for what they have. And, um, you know, we basically kept it fun. Uh, we did nothing that we, you know, didn't enjoy out there. You know, anything from cutting down Christmas trees with our hands for Christmas um, you know, every Thanksgiving was a holiday for us. Every, everything you can imagine like that. It was, it was a good family atmosphere that I grew up in. Right on. Do you remember your first memory and first time you got on a motorcycle? You know what? I actually do. I don't know if it was the initial phase of me getting on my first motorcycle, but, um, my parents, they live on five acres of land, right? So, and they had an old horse barn and stuff like that. And, uh, that's where the bike's originally were kept and um for some reason my dad scooped one out for me one day and uh brought me out and um i i wore all the stuff that he bought you know the whole csx uh old chest protector and stuff like that that was all tattered up Mm -hmm. um you know kind of looked a a little hillbilly-ish but that's all right you know there's nothing (laughs) wrong with that where where we're from you know what i mean right and um i remember the first time i rode it in the front yard uh, it was a PW50 with a downpipe, and um, I remember I hit um, our well for our water main, and uh, and I flipped it. That was Uh-oh. the first memory I have of it. Wow! So and ever since you, then I was hooked. Do you remember how old you were when this first ride happened? Three years old. Holy cow, man! Yep. So so yep. when so was been, it? So I've been riding every year for 24 years. Oh my gosh. So when was it you decided you wanted to try to go racing? I'm not sure. Um, I, I took off to, to the riding thing really quick. So it was like second nature for me. Um, so riding around my parents' yard and stuff like that was easy for me. And I, I ended up, um, you know, as a, as a three-year-old, probably pushing the limits a little bit and <laughs> probably made them a little nervous, you know, trying some, trying some risky moves in the backyard and stuff. So then, um, you know, my dad was, my dad was key on, um, all the motorsports stuff. Uh, he never had the opportunity when he was a child. So he wanted to make sure that I had every opportunity that I could afford. Um, so when I was of age, you know what I mean? I, I, I think my first race was at three and a half. So it was that it was later that summer. Um, and actually I originally grew up I used to race every other weekend. Um, I'd race motocross or flat track because I didn't know which one I liked yet. And my dad didn't want to be the, the one to decide for me. You know what I mean? So she, he left it open for me to decide what I wanted to do. Wow. That's cool. So what was it about mm-hmm. motorcycles that appealed to you? I think just the, the competitiveness. I'm sure you can tell by talking with all the racers that were very competitive animals. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We yep. we have that in our blood, and um, that really that really drew me in at first. Um, you know, I loved I loved doing good, and I loved being successful. And um, 
that's what really mattered to me. So, um, you know, and, and the fact that you didn't have to rely on anybody else, you know what I mean? It's not like a football team where someone throws an interception and you lose a game because somebody else, um, it's pretty much all on you. So that's, that's the other thing that I liked about it too. It was really, um, you know, based on, on you personally, not, not as far as you as a team, um, you know, when, when we first started. Okay. Do you, do you remember your first race? I mean, you started riding obviously very young, do you know and remember your first race? I actually don't. Um, I think it was a motocross race um, at one of our local tracks around here. We used to we have a bunch of regional tracks around here that um, have really big motocross events. So I'm pretty sure that's where it was. But um, offhand, I don't exactly remember that perfectly. You know, by myself. Right on. Do you, so what made it, made you decide to stick with flat track? I mean, you said you went back and forth between motocross and flat track. What was it about flat track that drew you in? Yeah. Well, when we first started, I, I, my dad used to have different tires and suspension and stuff for my bikes. Right. And I did that when I was on a 50, a 60 and an eight, um, until I got to the eighties. Then, then we got it. We decided that, you know, it looked like I could have a shot you know, it it being good, either one of these, if I chose to select one of them, um, you know, cause I would hang out towards the front of the packs, but you know how switching, switching gear and switching bikes and switching riding styles every weekend was, uh, starting to hinder me a little bit. You know what I mean? It was starting to to draw me back. So we decided, well, if we're going to make a go at this, you know, we're going to have to sit down and get serious and, and actually, you know, give ourselves the best chance for success that we have. So that's kind of what we did. We decided on flat track and, um, it was all on my, it was all my decision. My dad opened it up to either one. He didn't care what we did. You know, I'm sure he wouldn't have cared if we went tadpole fishing the next weekend, Um, (laughs) but he he was all about what was suiting me and what I felt and, um, what I wanted to pursue for a profession, not even a profession then it was just, you know, being competitive. So I really, I really chose flat track because I loved the speed. Okay. The motocross was fun. I had a lot of, I had a lot of fun doing it, but you know, the, the element of the speed is what drew me so much to flat track. Cool. I love that answer. sounds like your dad was really supportive of you and your decisions. And I love that too. My father was the same way. You know, I didn't, I didn't even start racing flat track till later on. I tried all kinds of other sports and, and raced some bicycle. And then I went motocrossing for a little while before I switched over to flat track too. So that's really cool that he supported you in whatever you decided to do. So what track did you grow up racing flat track at that was close to home? It was called Medina, New York. It's a, it's a, uh, it's like a natural terrain cushion TT track. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's not, it, there's nothing else in the world like it. I guarantee it. it it's, it's in between a, a couple of hills. It's a, uh, it's a cushion track. So it's got a, a nice base on it made out of stone dust. It's really amazing. You know, it's a, it's a TT. So you go left and right. We go up some hills and down some hills. It's just a really cool, natural family atmosphere too. You know what I mean? Everybody has everybody there, you know, their parents are always there. Their grandparents are always there watching on the hills and stuff like that. So it's, it's a really cool event. Awesome. I don't think I've been there quite yet. Um, I've heard Ryan Wells talk about that same track, and he he described it the same way you did. He said it's just totally awesome. And I've also heard uh, the Waters, you know, Dave and Rhonda Waters also talk about that track. Is that the same track as what's called the Crusaders Motorcycle Club? Is that where that same event happens, or is that something else? 
Yeah, that's the same one. It's called it's called the Crusaders TT or the Crusaders Motorcycle Event, whatever you want to call it. Okay, I got you. And I heard you're really fast so, there and, and actually gave the pros a run for their money back when you were on a 125 and they're on 450s. Yeah, that, that that's one of the coolest parts of, of Medina, honestly. Um, at the end of the day, they take the top two finishers from every main event from the 125 amateur to the, the seniors. And they stage us spread out across the track. You know what I mean? As far mm-hmm. as like the 125 amateurs start way up front because they're the youngest. And then the, the 450 experts start way in the back. So it's a staggered start race and it's 15 laps. And whoever wins, wins. Man, that's cool. Do you have one race that sticks out to you that you won there? Or, you know, I, I heard that, that you were beating these 450s on a 125. Is there one in particular you remember? I think that was probably the first one. My first win on a 125 against all the experts really stuck out. It made me realize, like, man, we have a, we have a shot to do something great with this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it gave me a lot more confidence in what I was doing and how I was acting um, at the track. All right. So growing up right around Buffalo, you have the ability to go just across the border and race up in Canada a lot, or you could go south and race in PA and Ohio. Is that why you're such a good cushion rider? Honestly, I believe so. Um, when I was when I was really young, we used to never ride on clay. Um, you know, being from New York um, and from P, you know near Pennsylvania, I rarely touched any clay when I was young. Um, we would always go into Canada or Ohio. And um and hit the and hit the cushion tracks, the big horse tracks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's that's where that's where we that's where we made it. You know what I mean? Because it takes a different skill set. You know, and um for whatever reason, my body just adapted to that skill set so quick when I was young. Um, I loved cushion racing. There was nothing like it. Uh, that that's awesome. Because I I grew up, you know pretty much in Oklahoma and there's no cushions anywhere near us. And I struggled when I went out East and, and tried to get a hold of the cushion tracks. It was just a, a whole different ball game for me. So I, I, I'm glad to hear it works the other way around too. Exactly. Um, it, you know, you, you got give and take of both ends. And, and I think that's also what makes flat track interesting is like, if you're, if you're a serious competitor in flat track, you have to be good all the time at every track, which is amazing because, you know, if you were born in New York or, or where I was from or where I, where I grew up, I was mainly a cushion rider. But then all of a sudden you had to get used to the clay stuff once you turned pro. So that, that definitely makes it a little difficult. So you grew up racing on all those pea gravel tracks. And, and what was it that decided and when did you decide to turn pro? When I turned pro, I, I basically was old enough. You know what I mean? I, I was 15 years old. I was doing really good at the amateur events. And, um, you know, we would, we would go and do awesome at all the Ohio outlaw stuff. And that kind of made me think like, man, we might have a shot to, to, to make a name for ourselves. So once I turned 16, I got my license and I, I went pro racing for myself there for the first year um, on a 450 and in Lima and stuff like that. I think we got, if I'm not mistaken, I think we got third or fourth the first year um, awesome. racing pro at Lima. Yeah. And, um, you know, that basically hooked me, um, you know, just being on a, on a stage at that level, um, it really drew me in It's you know, as far as being a, an influenced, uh, 16 year old, you know, who wouldn't, um, so that really, that really kind of sucked me into, to wanting to be a professional racer. Okay. And Lima, 
I think it's a track that you love because there's been a lot of things that have happened there. I, I remember back in the day, we actually performed or we kind of held your, your high school graduation there. And your principal, I believe, called us and we put him over the loudspeaker and you graduated high school on the victory podium there at the Lima Half Mile. Yeah, that's funny. It was actually in 2010. That's when I graduated high school. And, um, you know, the, the, the scheduling conflict just ended up being that when, I, when we were racing Lima, it was the same exact day as my graduation, so I didn't know what to do. So I actually ended up running it by my, my principal and stuff like that and, and asking them, hey, if I do this, would you guys support it? And they were all about it, which is cool, you know what I mean? We, I, I grew up in a really small town. I graduated with 87 people, so we didn't have a whole, you know, a big a big slew of people to, to walk across the stage and stuff like that. So they, they definitely helped me um, make that stand out for myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was so cool. It, you know, it's a story I've never forgotten. And, and it wasn't even me receiving the graduation diploma. I, I can't imagine you'll never forget that. That is so cool to tell all your friends. Exactly. There's, there's not a, there's not a chance that I don't get to, uh, to explain how appreciative of, of that whole event that I was, you know what I mean? Um, that's once in a lifetime opportunity and, uh, they definitely did it the right way. I mean, it was, it was pretty, pretty amazing. You know what I mean? Especially now later in life, I get to think about stuff like that. It's, it's pretty amazing that, you know, a small kid from Bergen, New York can, can have an impact on something like that, you know, three States away. That is, that is so cool, man. What a, what a cool memory you have. Also, I heard a little birdie told me that you also started talking to somebody in Lima, Ohio, and, and you kind of fell in love over some watermelon. So tell me that story. Yeah, you know what? So uh, I turned pro in 2010, and uh, 2012 came around. You know, I was on the, I was on the scene um, getting a few good results for Waters Auto Body Racing on the KTMs, and, um, you know, we were, just, uh, we were just going through life. You know what I mean? I was a young kid. Um, didn't have much to my name, um, except for the racing stuff, you know, but, um, I was going to college and stuff like that during the week and, and then racing on the weekends. So we had a lot of stuff going on and, uh, I ended up bumping into, uh, Amber bear when, uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. Um, it's, it's kind of a unique situation. I knew of her and I knew the family really well because obviously she's from Northeast Pennsylvania. So we only live four hours away maybe so I knew him growing up but um you know I didn't I didn't have any direct relationship with with those guys really because they were you know Pennsylvania used to be all clay tracks and I never went to to PA to race so we kind of bumped into each other once we started going pro Evan and Sean her brothers you know were were establishing themselves on the pro scene as soon as I was so we kind of uh got got together again I guess we, you could say um, we kind of came back around to each other and started hanging out a lot more, and it was awesome. The the story I heard, she kind of offered you some watermelon, and, and the rest is history. That's exactly right. We were at Lima <laughs> in 2012, and, um, you know, you know how Lima is. It, it can get pretty brutally hot. And that that mm -hmm. year, it was like 105 and, and just dripping sweat everywhere, you know? And um, it was just one of those instances where, you know, Amber ended up walking by, and she had a big tub of... Uh, watermelon and, and you know in a in a big tupperware and she ended up offering it up to me and you know she she held it out and looked at me you know like confused like hey do you want some and I said hell yeah I do <laughs> and um you know the rest was history honestly that's all that it is, took 
That is so cool, man. Uh, speaking of Amber, is she there? Is she close by? Can you put her on the phone? Yeah, I believe so. Let me let me see if I can grab her quick. Hey, Amber, can you get on the phone? Hello? Amber! Hey! <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am great. This is the other Hollywood. I guess the, the original Hollywood, you're with Hollywood 2.0, but he just told me some story that you offered him some watermelon one day in Lima, Ohio, and the rest is history. Um, yeah, that couldn't be truer, actually. He's he's pretty easy to please. So yeah, that that that's all it took, you know, a cool snack on a hot day at the racetrack, nothing better. <laughs> so 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 if somebody offers me watermelon, you some hot girl offers me watermelon, I should take it and next thing I know I'm gonna I, fall in love. Is that is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, I don't know if it happens for everybody, but um so don't take my word for it if it doesn't happen for you, Scotty, but it, I'd give it a shot. <laughs> all right that's definitely awesome. give it a shot scotty <laughs> i love it you guys are awesome so so amber what was it about jeremy that that made you realize that you that he was the guy for you well honestly if i'm being totally honest um my dad actually went on a trip to california um i think it was early 2012 or maybe it was the year before i can't exactly remember but he ended up going on a trip out to california i think it was calistoga and ended up being on the same flight as Jeremy. And, you know, he's been friends with the Waters for years. So they kind of talked along the trip and everything. And my dad came home from that trip and was like, Amber, you know, I really think you should uh, try and date that Jeremy Higgins kid. And I was like, no way, Dad. Come on, no. Um, but wow. lo and behold, he was exactly correct. <laughs> of course, Dad is always right. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think it was just he's he's just – Deep down, an extremely good person. He's good-hearted. He's just everything about him. There's nothing bad about him. So <laughs> I think everything. So cool. I could list them all, but that would that would take up your whole day. So so cool. And Dad always knows best, right? Yes. You know, you don't really think that growing up, and especially mm -hmm. when you're, you know, 18 years old, and he tells you you should date some kid from across the state. But um, <laughs> you know, he was right. Again, I gave it a shot, and uh, he was right, of course. So thanks, Dad. <laughs> What a, what a good story. I love that. So, so Jeremy, do you, do you know how many races you actually raced in 2019? Honestly, I don't. They, uh, I know I didn't do a lot of pro stuff because I couldn't afford it, but, um, you know, I did as many as I, as I could and, and foresee in the future. Um, but as far as like a number off the top of my head, I'm not exactly sure. I got you. Um, well, let's talk about that day in, in Springfield, Illinois, as much as you're comfortable with talking about, um, do you recall anything that happened or is that all wiped out? Honestly, you'll have to talk to Amber because everything is gone. I don't even remember getting ready to leave my house. Um, the two, two or three days before Springfield mile even was. Okay. And, um, I, I don't remember up till about three weeks after my accident, I started getting some memory back. Well, that's probably a good thing. I, I, I would, I think that's, you know, it's great. You don't remember any of that not-so-fun stuff, I guess I should say. Amber, were you at this race? Uh, yes, actually, I was. And it was just us. Our Both sets of our parents actually had been there. Um, but because of the double rainout, um, they ended up leaving the day before. You know, my dad helped Jeremy make sure he was all ready to go for, you know, when we were actually going to race, and then they headed out. So, yeah, it ended up just being me, him, and, and the dog there. So. Okay. Did you see the accident or... You know, how did you find out what was going on? Well, you know, I always watch from the front straight. I watch him take off. Um, I usually watch right before the finish line. And um, 
I saw him get a bad start and I was like, what the heck? You know, he qualified so well. He qualified second overall. Um, mm-hmm. I saw him get a bad start and, you know, the first thing that goes through my head is, okay, he's going to be mid-pack, not where he wants to be, right? So I saw him get a bad start, figured he was going to be mid, mid-pack. mid And then the worst part about the race is, if you're a spectator, is being on the infield, you know, you can't see, um, but you hear the crowd. So, of course, that's the first thing I heard was, you know, the crowd do their oohs and ahs, you know, uh, seeing the crash and everything. And then, you know, me as 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 the wife kind of waits for whoever to come around, and I didn't see him come around, so I kind of figured he was involved. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being on the front straight to get all the way to the back, you know, there's fences and there's a bunch of stuff, so I actually tried to uh, flag somebody down to take me back there, and uh, Mike Luzak actually came with his scooter and uh, drove me back there, so I got back to him. So, yeah, no, I didn't see the crash at all. Of course, I saw a video you know, right. pretty much right after. Um, right. but no, the, the crash itself, I didn't see. Um, but yeah, just not seeing him come around, you know, you kind of just have like a gut feeling, you know, they're involved, you know? Right. Yeah. I can't imagine that as a, as a wife or a husband, you know, either way, but it's gotta be a horrible feeling. So let's talk about the recovery process. I mean, it was a pretty nasty wreck, obviously. Let's talk about the, the days and weeks following the incident. Yeah. Well, um, of course, you know, right away, I'm a nurse, so um, I can kind of pick up on little things. And right away, I knew, you know, there was a, a big, big problem. So I rode with him in the ambulance to the hospital in Illinois, and everybody at the track, you know, kind of took care of all of our stuff, which was amazing, by the way. They took care of the dog, you know, because of course, I'm trying to think about everything. But we got with him uh, to the hospital. He went right into a trauma area they and they had him in surgery uh was within an hour um they had him in surgery they come they came and uh told me this is what we see this is what we need to do and you know of course me with that medical knowledge which is helpful you know i said yeah let's go you know hurry up <laughs> so they took him into surgery right away the surgery itself only took about an hour um and he was out and the doctors basically told me um so, you know, we, we fixed the initial problem and now we just kind of wait to see what happens. And for me, being a perfectionist and, you know, a, a timely person, that was the hardest part. You know, they say, uh, we just kind of wait and see what happens and see how his body reacts. And so that was, yeah, definitely the hardest part. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, my mom flew out uh, to be with me just as a support person for the first couple of weeks. You know, he ended up being pretty much, you know, what we call asleep or in uh, a coma, mostly with um, it being medically induced just because of the trauma. They didn't want him to be awake during all of this, you know. Um, But he opened his eyes and started really showing a lot of signs of improvement on the seventh day, so within the first week. And then after that, it was, uh, you know, he was, quote, awake, not communicating, though, and just... uh, you know, showing little signs of improvement, nothing major within those first three weeks, honestly. Um, but then it was time to fly home and uh, get him to the rehab. Um, but right before we left, he started to talk because he had that trach uh, in mm-hmm. his throat. So uh, right. he wasn't able to talk with that in. But right before we left Illinois, that was capped off. So he was able to talk. And <laughs> the first thing he said when I uh, said, do, do you remember my name? And he didn't call me Amber. He called me Amber Lamps, which is my nickname. <laughs> Right. So right, right then I kind of knew that his uh, that uh, his personality was still there and all that good stuff. So, um, you know, the the first three weeks we were told how many times how lucky we were. 
um, right. to have gotten this far. And, and, and fortunate for us, every little obstacle he overcame. Not everybody overcomes those first couple obstacles. So, um, you know, for us, that's a huge blessing. Um, so every day he made those little improvements, which have uh, brought him to where he is today. So. So amazing. And when, when you're going through those little bitty steps, you don't realize how important they are. And you don't, you know, you know, they tell you he's making great steps, but until you see it and now you look back on it, now you realize exactly what they were telling you is true, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of are like, okay, well, this is how it's going to be now, but then you take those little steps and then you get so involved in every little victory. It's like every day is something new and great. And then, yeah, you come to now and you look back and you're like, holy crap, you know, what a difference all those little things have added up to, to now. Right. It had to be awesome to hear your nickname when he woke up and, and was able to talk, right? Well, trust me, I bawled my eyeballs out because <laughs> I was just <laughs> expecting Amber or, or I, honestly, I wasn't expecting him to even say my name, you know, uh, with, with everything. I, I didn't even know if he would know, um, you know, or be able to even speak it. And he said Amber Lance, and I just, whew, I had to leave the room. <laughs> but yeah, um, it was imagine. it was awesome because he didn't just know my name. He knew my nickname. And, you know, I, I could tell that all those wheels had been turning in there. It's just we weren't able to uh, to know, you know, he's kind of he was kind of trapped in there a little bit. So, um, yeah, when he when he said that, uh, that was that was a, definitely a good day. <laughs> Awesome. Jeremy, do you remember this day she's talking of in those first few days after, you know, kind of waking up from the coma and, and it about time to go back to, to PA? Honestly, I don't. Um, the, the, I do remember, you know, the, the first couple of times maybe talking to her. Um, I, I do remember that I remembered her right away and that, you know, she had not left my, my side at all. So I knew, I knew who she was and everything like that from before. But um, I just don't think I had put the, the math together saying, man, I was in a coma for X amount of weeks. Right. Um, so that really didn't hit home for me during the recovery process, you know what I mean, until, until I was more awake and more alert of my situation that I was in. Okay. So you, when you start talking about becoming more awake and alert, was that after you got flown back to where you're at now, back, back home, or did that still happen while you're in Springfield? That happened once I got back home, honestly. Okay. Um, my my time in Springfield was lost as far as as far as I go. You know what I mean? As far as me sure. remembering or anything like that, um, mm -hmm. I have no recollection of even leaving for the race. Um, right. So I had some serious injuries there, but um, yeah. Once we got back to to New York, where I'm where I'm from, and we get, you know, we got suited with rehab and everything, and 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 the biggest thing for rehab was that. We spent, I spend a lot of time with the same exact doctors. So like my doctors that I spend three days a week with now are the same doctors that I started off with when I got back to New York, which awesome. is a big help. You know what I mean? That right. helps yeah. ease the stress on me a little bit. You know what I mean? As far as not trying to learn somebody's name every time I go to rehab and, you know, it just makes it a little bit easier for me. So they, those guys have been great. I mean, they've been unbelievable for sure. What, what's been some of the hardest parts of this rehab? I mean, I heard you kind of had to, to start all over again. And, and for somebody that hasn't been through that, I mean, what's been the hardest step for you to get through so far in this rehab process? Um, huh, that's a good question, man. I never thought of that. I would say the hardest part is, 
is realizing the frustration. You know what I mean? As far as like, it's kind of hard. Your life gets put on hold. All right. When you, when you have a, when you go into a, a, a serious accident, like I had, it's like your brain, you know, your whole mind stops. And, um, it was really hard to kind of try to resume that. But like in the back of my head, I was still like, man, I should be, I should be able to remember how to tie my shoes and, and this and that. Whereas everything got erased. Wow. So, so that was the hardest part was, was realizing that and realizing that I'm different now and, and, in trying to comprehend what I had to personally do to, to battle that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, you sound fantastic. Like if, if, if I didn't know you just recently had an accident, I, I don't think I could tell that at all. So I think the rehab's working. Um, are the motor skills all coming back as well? The rehab is definitely working. Um, my memory's gotten so much better. You know, I've, my, my main things have been getting up and getting active. You know what I mean? I've had a lot of vision issues since I had my accident, um, as far as my eyes not following the same path. So I, I, you know, if I look to the right, I look cross-eyed, which at the end of the day, isn't a really big deal. Cause then I just turn my head and I'm good. But <laughs> at the, at the same part, you know what I mean? You look off to the right and you see two objects, it, it kind of flips you out. But, um, since I've gotten there, I've, uh, you know, I've gotten back into, into fitness stuff. Cause obviously being a racer, you gotta be in shape, you know what I mean? And, and that's, mm-hmm. that's almost important as, as being a good racer is being in shape and fit for what you're supposed to do. So, um, with my rehab, I've been getting on a bicycle a lot. I've been working out a lot. So, so we're just working on little things like that, taking it, you know, easy day by day, you know, just kind of getting back into my normalcy, I guess you could call it. Um, you know, just getting, I, I ride a stationary bike all the time now. So that's good getting the blood flowing and pumping, you know, so it's a, we're, we're doing stuff like that. And, um, you know, I think that's definitely helped me out a lot. Man, you're obviously, you know, you have a great outlook on life and you're obviously one tough dude to go through all this stuff. Um, I think I saw a post somewhere recently that you've mentioned maybe riding again. Are you seriously thinking about that? Well, as of right now, we don't know. Um, we got to see what the recovery process is and, um, you know, basically what the end result means for me. As far as, as, far as me right now, I'm 100% focused on my health. Riding, obviously, I'm, I've been doing it since I was three years old, so I'm addicted to it. You know what I mean? I, I can't imagine life without it. And, and whether that's me being a racer or being an owner, um, I'm not sure what's in store for me right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what way that'll turn out uh, down the road but I'm definitely going to be involved in racing still. Um, whether that's me being a team owner or a bike owner or, you know, helping a guy out in the pits or whatever, we'll, we'll figure that out when it comes. And when I have the time to sit down and assess my situation and what, what's going to be good for me. Gotcha. So Amber, are you going to support him if he wants to ride again? You know, I've had so many people ask me that question and me as a wife and and growing up around this, you know, since I was two years old, um, a racer is never not a racer, right? I I, I know that my dad, my brothers, all my friends, family, you know, it's, it's, it's in your blood. It's something that you never lose the passion for. Um, And, you know, it's hard to say, because then again, me having the medical background, 
I, we know the consequences of if he were to get hurt again, you know, the, the potentials. Um, so me in that area, I would say, no, I would never want to see him get back on a motorcycle, but at the same time, it's what he's done and known and, and loved and poured all of his hard work and passion into for 24 years. Um, you know, he's built those motorcycles with the help of a few people from the ground up and, you know, they're his, his pride and joy. So, you know, it's, it, it's really hard to say I'll support him in anything that he does though. Um, I, I, that's, I don't think it's just my job. It's just my love for him in general. So we'll see what the coming years bring. But as of right now, yeah, I mean, focusing on his health is, is the number one issue. I mean, we're not going to be selling bikes, that's for sure. <laughs> um, right on. But, you know, potentially being involved in, in a different way, finding a different passion within the motorcycle uh, world uh, might be might be better for him. I and mean, we we're, we're young. We have a lot of other things going on. He's got a career you know, so I'd also like to see him focus on some of that stuff too. You know, it's, it's not just about racing for us, even though it's a huge part of life, you know? Absolutely. I, I love your answer. I love how you support your husband. That's amazing. Graham's question usually comes last, but uh, this, what you guys just mentioned of, she would, she kind of wanted to know if you're not able to race again, would you stay in the industry and, and possibly do something in racing? Me personally, absolutely. I would. Um, if it's, if it's not me out there, it's going to be someone else. I've been blessed to be brought up in this world and, and realize how hard it is for us to make ends meet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, as far as paying the bills and going racing and stuff like that. And, um, once you get to the professional level, you think that's, you know, some people may think it's all, all hunky dory. You all, you know, you get paid to show up and this and that we absolutely do not. So, yes, I'm going to be a part of the racing system somehow. It's probably going to be me being a team owner or something like that as far as, you know, me me putting my own bikes out on there with, with another rider or something like that. But I don't, have any, I don't have any plans or riders right now that I can think of off the top of my head that I plan on doing 2020 with. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, sure. But, but in, 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 in the bottom of my heart, that's what I hope for. You know what I mean? Is is to still yep. be involved and in, in give back to this this community that has given me so much over the years. That's amazing. Graham Graham's gonna love that answer for sure. So got a couple more for you. Um, are we gonna see any of the Grand Nationals in 2020? Yeah, for sure. I'll be there. You know, basically being a being an observer or or helping somebody out in the pits, um, depending on how my health goes. We, we were not on, we're not sure of what, what the, the future holds for me, but, um, yeah, I'll definitely be involved somehow. Awesome. I can't wait to see you guys. It's, it's been, it's been so, so great to follow your story and, and watch your progress. I'm just, you know, blown away by how good you guys are doing, uh, you know, Jeremy, especially you, but, uh, Amber, you're right there with them doing, you know, doing it step by step. I've got a couple of rapid fire questions if you're up to it. All right, let's give it a shot. All right. So I asked this one pretty much from every rider because, you know, we talk about motorcycles. So uh, what's your favorite motorcycle you've ever ridden? Oh, man. Um, as far as at a national or locally? Anywhere, any track. It doesn't have to be a racetrack. I mean, I think one of my favorites is a Ducati 748, and I just rode it up on the street once. So whatever you there think, you I mean, whatever, whatever bike you like the most. All right. Well, um, there's two that really stand out to me. Um, when I was, when I was a really young kid, 
um, my first CR125 was was probably the the main one that stood out to me. Okay. Um, it was the first time I got on the full wheelbase length bike. Um, it was a 97 CR125. It wasn't anything special. It was just a standard issue, you know, 125. But man, that's that's where it really started to to click for me. Like, hey man, we we have an actual shot at this. I did, you know, amateur nationals with it. We we did a bunch of stuff with it, and um, that was the first the first race that I won a Grand Prix with, um, at our local track, which was unheard of at the time, you know, as far as a 125 winning a Grand Prix. You know, that's what really set it all off. I would say that was that was the beginning of it all. Right on. Do you have a favorite trophy from a race that you've won? Um. As far as my trophies go, when we would race Medina, um, they would always have a, a throwback race, like a like a vintage race or, or a, a memorial race. And um, I think that was probably it. Um, I got a couple of awesome trophies from them that are, you know, really heartfelt, more about the community as a whole rather than, oh, hey, you got first and you got second. Who cares? Um, it was more about the family atmosphere of being a racer at those tracks. And I really think that that's what set Medina apart for me. Right on. So is Medina your favorite racetrack? As of right now, yeah. Um, okay. That, that was the track that I was born and raised on. Um, that was my first ever flat track race. Um, I, I have raced there, you know, five times a year for the past 20 years. The family atmosphere is just amazing. Um, what they do with the track and how they, how everybody's treated there. You know, the, the club uh, volunteers are all amazing. They, they, they make it a really family atmosphere um, situation there, which is, which is good to get into because, you know, once you start turning pro, everybody gets really, you know, into their own thing and, and you get your own ways and stuff like that. So it's kind of nice to be able to reset from that and pull away a little bit and, you know, get used to the, the family love that uh, that a local track will offer you. Cool. I love it. So, Amber, I've got one for you. Um, you said you grew up going to the races. Uh, Evan and Sean, your brothers, both race. Um, what is your favorite racetrack to attend? Oh, boy. My favorite track. Hmm. Well, that's a, that's a hard question. I know. Oh, Put you on you the spot. <laughs> My favorite track back in the day was always Hagerstown. Mm, yes. Always Hagerstown, Maryland. Number one, it seemed like it always rained. Mm-hmm. And number two, it was always so hot in that little bowl down in there at Hagerstown. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had that was basically like our local pro race because we used to never race at Williams Grove. So all of our friends and all of our family and even like our old racing friends that didn't race anymore would always go there. So I, I'd have to say Hagerstown. That was always the funnest race for me. Uh, yeah, I would have to agree with you. That that track was so fast and always put on some good racing too. So um, mm-hmm. do you ride motorcycles? I, didn't, I don't think I've ever asked you that question. Oh, boy. No, I don't. No. Mm-mm. Uh, one time. <laughs> one, I, I knew there was going to be a story that went along with that answer. <laughs> Um, one time I rode a 50 and it was at my grandparents' house and I rode it like around their garden. And then, you know, I got whiskey throttle and rode it right into the side of the house and (laughs) almost broke my neck as like a seven-year-old. So that was the end of that. And I am just not coordinated enough. I don't know how you guys do it. 
I can't even ride a scooter, Scotty. I can't do any of that. <laughs> okay. Well, some then, some people some people just can't do it. I know everybody gives me crap because oh, I grew up around racing, and my brothers. No, I I never I never got that gene. I don't have it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Scotty, in her defense, there have been times when we have been ice training, you know, from Western New York here. Um, I have brought her out onto the ice tracks with me and, and given her a ride on the on the bike with me. Yeah. So she's not she's not scared of riding. She just doesn't have a lot of confidence in herself yet. I got gotcha. you. I like how you use the word yet because it's it's never too late to to learn, Amber. You can still do it. There's no time uh, like the present, Scotty. That's right. <laughs> awesome. I don't awesome. know. I don't know about it. Maybe. Well, don't don't rush into it. I mean, there's no hurry, but you're not getting any younger. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But uh, I've I've been on the back of way, one too many motorcycles that have done wheelies. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That kind of kind of scares me a little. <laughs> awesome. Well, at the end of the episode, we ask people for thank yous, and I know a lot of people have helped you guys out through this process, and you realized what a great family that the flat track community is, but. Uh, Jeremy, I'd like to, I'll let you go first. And Amber, if you'd like to add anybody, uh, you're more than welcome. But Jeremy, do you want to say thanks to anyone? I just want to say thanks to everybody. Um, this, this incident here has really opened my eyes in a different way. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's been for sure different than what I have normally done. I mean, I've broken arms and stuff like that before, which are no big deal, but this is a very serious accident. So I just want to say thank you to everybody that supported me and reached out to me over you know, even social network or, or the, the phones and stuff like that. They've all been um, a real big blessing. And, uh, you know, that's that's definitely stood out to me. So I really appreciate it. Um, you know, there, there's no lack of hard work here. That's for sure. So we're we're still plugging away and trying to get back to normal. You know, we got we still got a ways to go, but we're we're working on it and, and we're chipping away and we're just trying to see what we're uh, what we're made of. I love it. I love that answer. Amber, would you like to say thanks to anybody? Um, I have so many people that I would like to thank. Um, I first of all want to thank the rookies class of 79 and Charlie Roberts. They were fantastic. I mean, I didn't even have to contact them. They contacted me when everything first happened and, you know, helped me out hugely in those first couple weeks and even still to this day are, are putting in so much hard work for us. Ray Rizzo was the first person um, at the hospital with me just to kind of help me in those first couple minutes. He was also a huge help. Jennifer Lewis and Chad Coase, Jody Lewis, all those guys, um, Jody Johnson now, sorry, um, have have been there for us hugely. Our families, both both sides of our families, Oh, everybody, we've had so many people just, you know, send, send checks and, you know, just cards and, and memories. And, and I got so many messages on Facebook and stuff, you know, when everything happened that kind of just, you know, put my mind at ease, everybody sharing stories about Jeremy and stuff. And, um, you know, everybody that did their own little fundraisers for us, there's, there have been a lot, you know, people have just kind of come together and, and done it on their own and not even needed us to do anything. They just kind of do it for us. That's awesome. Corey Texter and those guys that did the ride, Bronson Bauman and all the people that put together that ride that he did about a month ago, that raised quite a bit of money for all of us as well. You know, our Canadian friends, um, our friends from home, Jamer and Bobby, 
There's so many people. I, I wish I, I wish I had all the names, <laughs> but it yeah. would, it would take me years to go over those names. So many people. I, and, you know, I hate to generalize it, but yes, everybody that has sent a text or sent a call or a card, anything, we, we keep it all. We re- we read it all. And it's just been, it's just been huge. So that's that's awesome. You know, you guys are still on the road. You got a ways to go. Nothing's cheap. You know, not able to work, not able to bring in income and going through all this recovery process. If people are still wanting to help you guys out, is the best way to do it through the rookies of 79 or would you rather do it another way? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the best way. And, you know, not only for us, for, for everybody, you know, everybody that's still struggling with medical bills, unfortunately, we're not the only ones that are struggling right now. I'm sure there's three other riders that have racked up some bills as well. So yeah. And the great thing about rookies class of 79 is they split that, you know, they, you know, they get individual, but they also do fundraisers where the money, you know, goes to everybody, which is, which is awesome. So yeah, please, you know, if there's anybody still looking to donate, donate to, them and um you know they can they can replenish their own funds and you know then then give to all four of us as well awesome hollywood it's been an honor to talk to you i'm glad you're doing so good you sound great uh keep churning and i cannot wait to see you again at the racetrack yeah for sure scotty thank you for uh thank you for having us on here and um we'll definitely see you this this coming year uh i'm not sure what track it'll be at but we'll we'll show up at one for sure and we'll come and see you all right i cannot wait amber thanks for coming on with us and thanks for uh helping coordinate this uh call with carter and uh we hope you guys have a merry christmas and again thank you so much thank you scotty you too merry christmas everyone dude i felt that one you know i try not to have favorites but that one i think that one's on the podium for me for sure yeah, it's uh like I said, I didn't know much about either of them before, but I feel like uh, I feel like I've known them for a while after hearing that uh, hearing that interview. And uh, how awesome is that? The two of them together, um, that you know, the whole love story thing, and the support that she's shown for uh, the Amber shown for Jeremy since the incident. So, and even before the incident, you know, it seems like she's always kind of backed him regardless. So uh, it's just really cool to hear not just the backstory, but how they're recovering and that they're recovering so well. Hollywood 2.0. That might have been my favorite part. I love it, and I, I think that everybody's gonna like hearing hearing from them as well, obviously. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing them out at the track next year in 2020. Absolutely, and beyond, and and you know what capacity? We'll have to wait and see. But just hearing how upbeat their voices were tells me that they're on the the, the road to recovery, and things are just getting better and better. They're they're definitely not out of the woods yet, like you said. There's there's still a long way to go. Um, but it's, there's a lot of hope there on that end. And, uh, it's something that, that I love, uh, love hearing and the progress they've made in the short amount of time. Absolutely. I just really appreciate their time. And, uh, it was such a good podcast. Carter, what else you got going on this weekend? Uh, not a whole lot this weekend. I'm, I'm actually, uh, Corey Texter has voluntold me, or I've actually been voluntold. Voluntold you? I've been told by, voluntold by. volunteered and told you. Yeah, I've I've been voluntold by, I've been voluntold by Corey Texter to, uh, to assist with his live stream for his race. Uh, I've never (laughs) done live streaming, so I've been like the past couple weeks trying to figure out how all that works. Um, it's been great. Um, it's been a, a, a learning curve for me. Uh, but I think I'm actually getting somewhere and, uh, I'm going to be meeting this weekend. I think earlier, early next week to talk about, uh, options for doing that. We'll see if, uh, if he wants to go forward. 
So is ballin' told in the dictionary? It is now. You heard it first on, on Off the Groove. Well, anybody that, that knows Corey knows that like when he asks you to do something, he's basically telling, hey, you should do this. So um, no, it's going to be awesome to be a part of it, man. I was there actually for the first event when they ran it the first time last year. It was a cool event, and uh, and I think that the stream was solid last year. I just hope that I can uh, deliver the same quality. And for people that don't know, you're talking about the winter throwdown down there in Florida, right? Yeah, I mean, what else would I be talking about? That's the only thing going on hey, in January that I see now. I mean, I don't know. You don't go to a lot of races, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Not as many as I used to, but I definitely will. I definitely go to as many as I can. And this is one, if you're in the Jacksonville area that you don't want to miss because uh, they put on a pretty good show last year. I mean, Carver was out there on the Rotax. Uh, Coolbeth was even racing last uh, last January. Mies was out there. Brandon Robinson whooped everybody's ass. It was great to watch. Um, and uh, it had some up-and-coming rookies. Uh, I think Dallas Daniels was out there. Uh, Trent Lowe was out there. And I'm sure there's like 20. Uh, Robbie, Robbie Bobby was out there racing. Well, I'm sure you're going to have Sammy Halbert. He moved down there to Florida now, so he'll probably show up. I mean, this could be like a little miniature national in January. Yeah, I mean, you've seen those popping up over the past couple of years, events here and there that get these riders ready to go for Daytona. Uh, this will be no exception, and it'll be a great way to start the uh, 2020 racing season for sure. Sounds good to me. Keep around two wheels there, buddy. We appreciate all the followers. Uh, I love this podcast. This was one of my favorite for sure. We got some new things, some better things coming up in, uh, starting in 2020, and I can't wait to roll those out. I'm looking forward to it, man. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, next week's episode is another solid one. We've already uh, kind of got that one in the can, so looking forward to that. I guess we'll keep our ears to the ground for uh, Flat Track News, and we'll talk to you guys on Friday the 13th. In December. Christmas Friday. Christmas Friday the 13th. That's kind of weird, but Christmas Friday the 13th. That is weird. I didn't know that even existed. Yeah. All right, everybody. Keep smashing that like button. Tell all your friends about our podcast. We appreciate it. Reach out to us if you have any suggestions, comments, whatever. We try to get back to each and every one of you. And uh, again, we we do it for the fans. We do it because you guys love the sport just as much as we do. And uh, keep on keeping on. Oh, uh-huh. look at you going Gary Inman on them. I love it. So that sounded good dude it sounded Hell yeah excellent that was i felt that awesome. one i felt that one guys that was good that was I really good this is this is moving i try not to have favorites <laughs> but you're, you're right there near the very top i'm i'm so glad to hear from you guys and and i can i can feel 
how positive things are with you two, just from your voices and how you talked about everything. I love it, and uh, I just hope everything you know keeps getting better for you too. Exactly. You know, we're not uh, we're not expecting anything. We take everything that we have, you know, kind of with a grain of salt that that we that we appreciate life and everything like that. And we were in a situation, man. Yeah. We definitely appreciate what had happened to us, and um, you know, everybody that that came forth afterwards um, was a huge help. We're blessed. Absolutely.